Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. Pray that you'll be receiving a blessing as we come to the Word this morning. Fortunately, God does not practice social distancing. And he is not threatened by viral infections. Not even the viral infection of our sin. I'd like to share today some thoughts on wireless social networking, which we're all having a lot of experience with these days, but I want to uh, look at it in a slightly different way. It was Verona, Italy, December 17th, 1981. The plumbers in coveralls that were at the door said the apartment downstairs had complained of water leaking from their ceiling, and they asked if they could come in to inspect the kitchen lines and the drains to see if they could find the source of the leak. Well, when Judy Dozier let them in, instead of pipe wrenches, they pulled out guns. Judy was tied up, and her husband James, an American brigadier general working with NATO forces in Europe, was forced at gunpoint into a trunk. The so-called plumbers were in reality communist terrorists from the Red Brigade. Dozier was carried out, driven to an apartment house somewhere. He was isolated in a blue tent, about six foot square. He was handcuffed, chained to a cot, wearing headphones that were blaring loud rock music so that he could hear no conversations or any outside noises to give him a hint where he might be. Now, Dozier was a Christian, and he kept reminding himself over and over the net. I gotta stay in the net. I gotta stay in the net. Now, staying in the net means keeping in radio communication with your commander and your fellow troops during operations. So there, in total isolation, Dozier prayed. The terrorists began regularly what they wanted to call interrogating him, mostly just beating, bullying, screaming at him for hours at a time. Now, as he was thinking back a few years later, Dozier reflected, and he writes, then I feel a strange calm, as if I'm in the company of others, other people who are praying for me. I'm trying hard to stay in the net. Later, he described at one time, he said, I feel a closeness with Judy, his wife, as if she were with me. I know she's praying for me. I sense it. 
Week after week, his cruel captivity dragged on. And he remembered how during this time, how in spite of my predicament, he said, I remain optimistic about the outcome. I'm helped by something quite strong, a force supporting me like the lift one feels from an ocean wave, a powerful buoyancy. And he had a vivid impression of his executive officer and realized that he too was praying for him. A few days later, he had the feeling another friend in Vienna, a strong praying Christian, was there with him. Then it was an American missionary in Vincenza. And Dozier knew he could feel that he was being carried along upon their prayers. After 42 days in captivity, James Dozier was freed by commandos from Italy's crack anti-terrorist unit. And looking back, one thing stood out from his time as a hostage. And he says, above all, one salient truth has been proven to me in a most amazing way, that our prayers for others expressed in the love of God can be our most powerful communication with them, transcending time and space. For when I sat down with my executive officer, the American school teacher, the fellow general officer's wife, the American missionary, and the many others whose loving, sustaining presences came to me in captivity so vividly, I learned in comparing notes with them that these happened at the very time they were earnestly praying for me. We live in an extraordinary day as a dangerous viral epidemic sweeps around the globe mysteriously as if on the wind and health department officials desperately try to limit its impact through social distancing. So we're here in this situation. Groups of more than 10 are barred from meeting. Restaurants are closed to dine-in customers. Schools are closed. And I guess we're still the lucky ones. In Italy, police will routinely break up groups of two. Churches are closed to worship services. Many believers who relied on their weekly fix of inspiration and fellowship find themselves now isolated and lonely. In an uncertain and insular time like this, we do well to learn from the captivity of General Dozier. Because what he experienced is neither new nor unusual. What he called staying in the net is nothing other than what the church for over 1,500 years has called the communion of saints. It's part of the third article of the Apostles' Creed that many Christians say every week. Now we get to learn 
what it really means. Since it eclipsed the older Roman creed sometime after 390 A.D., 400 A.D., Christians around the globe have been reciting the Apostles' Creed. Many of you will know it by heart. First, it describes God the Father, Almighty, the Creator that is the maker of heaven and earth. And then it, it turns and at length it describes Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, the, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, buried, dead, rose, ascended, reigning, and coming again. And then we go on, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And that's it. There's nothing about Pentecost, no roaring winds and tongues of fire, nothing about power to witness, to heal, and to work miracles. Instead, or so it seems, the creed moves on to what seems like a, a loose amalgamation of religious things. You know, uh, the worldwide church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, bodily resurrection, eternal life. And only after many, many years and I have to admit this with some embarrassment, after many years did it occur to me that this loose amalgamation of religious things at the end of the creed was actually describing the Holy Spirit and what he does. In the creed, it starts with God the Father. He created you along with everything else, and he continues to provide everything for your life on this earth. And he made a plan for your redemption. And to fulfill that plan, God the Son became human, emptying himself of his divine powers and prerogatives in order to share our full humanity. And so also in order to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Dying in your place, Jesus, the Son of God, satisfied the righteous judgment of God upon your sin. Dying in your place, he opened the way for you to enter into a full relationship with a holy God. Then, in response to Jesus' trusting faith as he goes to death, God the Father raised Jesus the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, opening the way from life through death into a new and eternal life so you can share in his resurrection life here and now. That's what God the Father does for you. That's what God the Son does for you. But what does God the Holy Spirit do? Well, he draws you to Christ. He makes the word of God take root and grow within your heart. 
He inspires within you the faith to believe the good news. And he applies to you the redemption purchased for you by Christ. That is all of the, everything that's summed up in that little phrase in the creed, the forgiveness of sins. Then the Holy Spirit, who is the power that actually raised Jesus from the dead, he's the power that lets you experience that new life now and will one day raise your earthly bodies into new resurrection life as he transforms this lowly body into a body of glory like that of Jesus. And all of this is summed up in the creed in the words, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, between these two points, between the work of the Holy Spirit and bringing you to saving faith and forgiveness of sins at the beginning of your earthly walk with the Lord, and the Spirit's work in recreating you in the resurrection and eternal life at the end of your earthly walk with the Lord, that is, in this time between, well, that's what's pretty well covered in the creed with the words, I believe in the holy Catholic church, that is, the worldwide church, and the communion of saints. When, you see, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples shortly after Jesus' resurrection, was sent by Christ upon his disciples to make them witnesses to the resurrection, that was the beginning not just of the Christian mission to the world, it was the birthday of the church, a body of believers now joined together in Christ, but joined by the Spirit. That is, it's the Holy Spirit who interconnects believers into the body of Christ, a, a holy priesthood, a new and chosen nation. He gives us a new identity, and he gives us a new sense of belonging. You are now part of the family and the people of God. Now let's apply this to, frankly, the very bizarre situation in which we find ourselves today, here in this, these anxious weeks of social distancing. One of the results of human sin is, can you guess it? Isolation. Sin breaks the relationships. Sin breaks the relationship with God. It's fractured by distrust and rebellion. The relationship between humanity and the earth we live on is, it becomes a relationship of violence and resistance rather than collaboration. The relationship between a man and a woman is marred by disappointment and blame pinning. The relationship to oneself is marked by shame and even self-hatred. You become isolated from everyone and everything that matter to you and make your life worth living. Welcome to social distancing today. 
what we're experiencing now, the uncertainty, the sickness, for some death, the isolation, is simply symptomatic of the fundamental breakdown caused by, sinf- by human sinfulness. This is the ripple effect. The father planned, however, and the son died and rose, and the spirit is at work today to overcome disease and death and isolation. Now, I start at such length with the Trinity because, well, that's what the apostle Paul did. Turn with me to his benediction in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The love of God. You see, God extends to you his planning and saving love. God made the plan because he loves you, his creatures, and his creation. And then Jesus the Son opens up the floodgate of divine grace to you. The Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit offers communion. Offers communion. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses there is koinonia. It means having something in common. And it was used of close friendships and of business partnerships. First of all, this means, obviously, that you, ex- that you experience and enjoy a close partnership with the Holy Spirit. You have a share in the Holy Spirit whom Christ has put in your heart by faith and who is at work within you and through you. You see, even in isolation, you're never really alone because you have a vital relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. Now, If that sounds to you like some kind of theological jibber-jabber that doesn't mean much, then I want to tell you this is a very real and very exciting experience. It's a genuine relationship, which you can claim for your own when you know Christ. God the Spirit is always right there with you, right where you are, only a prayer away. From the time the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you're only going to be as lonely as you choose to be. But it also means so much more, the communion of the Holy Spirit. You see, because the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and the same Holy Spirit lives inside me, we're connected by that Spirit inside of us just as surely as our telephones and internet can be connected. You have been given communion with the Holy Spirit, but also communion with others through the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit is that connection that creates the communion of saints, the linking together of all who believe in Jesus. Because God the Spirit is omnipresent, that means everywhere present, and eternal. You are connected with others across all space and time. This is never as real and as experiential as when you pray in the Spirit. Now there in captivity, James Dozier sensed the invisible presence of others. Some he recognized, some he did not. Once, he even felt the nearness of his mother who had passed away more than a year before, but whose praying companionship could not be limited even by time itself. Can you imagine that God could use your prayers now to provide comfort and hope for someone else years from now. As mysterious as all that might sound, it was a familiar phenomenon to the Apostle Paul. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. It's a little bit of background. At the same time, the believers in Corinth were bragging on their spiritual wisdom and spirit gifts. Everything else in the church was in terrible disarray. So Paul has to write to the church to regulate their affairs, and, and I mean that in this case quite literally. Paul says, it has actually been reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that no, that's not even found among pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife. And you're arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this thing would have been removed from among you? For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, Paul says, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you're assembled, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What is going on here? Well, Scripture clearly judges someone who has committed incest. Whether that's by biological relationship or by marital one. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 11 warns, the man who lies with his father's wife shall be put to death, period. Now, while the church does not, nor should, have the right or authority to execute offenders, 
Hallelujah. Paul knows that one way or another, God himself will uphold his justice and perform his word with our help or without it. So, Paul is ready simply to lift any divine protection from this grossly wayward believer, giving the devil free reign to exact his own brand of vengeance in the hope that ultimately in the final judgment, though his flesh may perish, the sinner himself might be saved by the grace of God. You see, this is a prophetic act of judgment that Paul is performing here, which he performs at a distance. Remember, Paul is not in Corinth at the time. He's more than 400 miles away in uh, Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit is not bound by the confines of space or distance. So through the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Lord, he can nevertheless be present in spirit as the church gathers to worship and exercise discipline. This is the communion of saints through the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I admit this may not be the most happy example of this to bring. Those of you who are quarantined or who are isolated and uh, otherwise homebound probably would not appreciate having someone sort of appear next to you, some brother or sister to appear next to you in order to condemn you for your sins. Uh, Okay. But I mentioned this one in particular because it is such a clear example of this principle. There's another, shall we say, more uplifting and happier case in Colossians, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 as well, if you'll turn with me there. There we read, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, And for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So here Paul is imprisoned yet again. He cannot visit the members of this young church. But he struggles, he wrestles in the spirit, in prayer, for their protection, for their loyalty to Christ, and for their spiritual maturity. Paul wants them to understand the faith, to be filled with hope and with unity, 
and to be guarded from deceivers. And to that end, he prays, he steadfastly and intercedes in the Spirit. And he is encouraged as he sees them. Their upbeat attitude, their constant faith. And you say, wait a minute. He's in prison. How can he see them? How can he see anybody except some rock walls? Because through the Spirit, Paul knows himself to be present with the church as they pray in the Spirit as well. We're in exceptional circumstances. Maybe this is the time to put Paul's principle to the test. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your praying. As you take some time to, shall we say, get lost in prayer, to trust him to bring to mind others who may be lonely, suffer from their isolation. Pray for them as they come to mind intently and intensely, completely focused. Picture them in your mind's eye as you pray. Picture in your mind's eye what you would like to see God doing for them in this moment. With General Dozier's experience as a guide, you can be confident they will know they are being prayed for, that they are being lifted up and carried along by a cloud of praying witnesses, and that they, in turn, will be a supporting presence for you and for others. You see, unlike Facebook and Twitter, which are often trivialized to pictures of cute kittens, fake identities, and petty remarks, the communion of saints, that is the most powerful form of wireless social networking that there is. Let's pray. Lord, we pause before you. We want to hear and the voice of your Spirit to sense the impulse of your Spirit within our hearts, to know your nudge, your guidance, who we should pray for, what we should pray for. Bring to mind those who have urgent needs or those who simply suffer from the isolation at this time that you would bring them reassurance and confident hearts, but above all, that they would know that we, wherever we are, that we are there with them and for them. And though they may not see us, they will know that we are with them in spirit. And we will know that others are there in spirit with us across time itself, across all space and distances. 
For there is a reality that is even more real than what we can see and hear and taste. We pray, Lord, for all of those who are waiting operations, some of whom are getting medical care now and are anxious about being expo- what they might be exposed to in the hospital. We pray for them for protection. For those facing surgery, we pray that it would be successful and that they could recover quickly without complication. We pray for Joel and Lacey and their two boys in Thailand who have the flu and bronchitis. We pray, Lord, for their swift healing. We pray for Marie as she recovers now from a stroke. And Lord, we pray for all those extroverts out there who are having to learn how to be introverts for a moment in isolation. And Lord, may this be healing for their souls and providing bridges to people who are very different, our introverts and our extroverts among us, that there might be greater understanding coming out of it. And I ask, Lord, that through the isolation that so many of us are feeling across this country and around the world, that all of our brothers and sisters in the faith, all of your saints around the world, would treasure all the more those special times when we can get together to pray and to worship and to hear your word together in person. And may out of this time of isolation, may there come a new resurgence and a new passion for continuing to meet together that our churches would be full, full of people hungry for connection in Christ. We ask this in the name of our gracious Lord and Savior and in the power of the Holy Spirit who makes us one. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.